Well, hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership Podcast, here to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus wherever you are and in whatever you're going through. I'm your host, Jez Field, and I hope you're staying well in these unprecedented and frankly confusing times. Now, today's episode, I'm hoping, will get you thinking about something vitally important to the Christian life the part that you and I are called to play and meant to play in fulfilling the Great Commission given to us by Jesus. How are you at making disciples? How is the local church community that you're part of? What are the various structures and systems or just mindsets that operate in you and the church to help us fulfill the commission that Jesus has given to us? Well, I had a fascinating conversation recently with Simon Holly in which he described some creative ways that he and his church are rethinking the way that they go about fulfilling the Great Commission. Simon has been the lead elder at King's Arms Church in Bedford for almost 15 years. He leads the Catalyst team, which is part of New Frontiers, and he supports and teaches at churches around the world. Simon's also the author of an amazing book called Sustainable Power, which looks at how to create a healthy culture of supernatural life in church today. Simon's also got a new book coming out, which I was looking forward to talking to him about in the conversation that we had. And so, friends, without any further ado, give it up, please, for the one and only Simon Holly. Simon, firstly, welcome. Great to have you with us. Great to be with you, Jez. Great to have the time to connect. Yeah. Um, well, Simon, the question I thought we'd kick things off with just to see how you're getting on uh, and also what we've learned is the past six months have been so com- complicated and confusing and chaotic but what are, what's one of the main things you've learned either about yourself or leadership in the past six months oh i think um i mean it's just so much for all of us isn't it it's just been a crazy 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 time my wife has banned me from using the word unprecedented that's uh <laughs> it's like we're using it too many times so that's now i can use it here because she's not around but yeah unprecedented. i'm not allowed to use that word anymore but just been so unprecedented and i think um I think I've learned probably about myself is I always knew that change was something that I was quite um, adaptable in and liked. I think probably this season has even stretched me to my limits of change management and change. But I do kind of thrive in times like this. I do tend to thrive when when it's all up in the air and you can part, kind of carve your own course. Um, I think uh, so. I think that's learning how different people have responded. Some people have surprised me how how fine how hard they found it. Other people have surprised me at how how adaptable they've been. So I think just it, no one knew how they were going to respond until they were in it. So I think that was, and it's not that anyone's response is is. I think everyone's grieving at different levels and different things going on personally. And so it's not that there's a bad or a right response. It's more just a surprising how people how different people handle it. Um, and I think the thing for me has just been um, how it's helped us to focus fresh on what are, what are we really doing here? You know, what are we, what, the, what the heck are we doing here with church? How do we make disciples? You know, I think it was helpful for me some years ago to realize what, you know, Jesus's command of go and make disciples, you know, teach them to obey these things and really boiling down to. Um, I remember talking with a good friend of mine now. Uh, I'd only just met him at the time, Paul McConaughey, and he we had a conversation around this whole thing and he was telling me about his disciple making process. And I said to him, Paul, the question is, how do you fit it all in? How do you fit it all into your life? And he, I mean, he's just so brilliant like this. He just stopped. He said, Simon, that question is the problem. (laughs) 
<laughs> Jesus told us to go and make disciples. It shouldn't be how do we fit it in. It should be how do we fit everything else in because that should be the priority. And it was one of those moments. I remember the room. I remember the window we were standing looking out as we had that conversation. It was like a life-defining moment. Where I realized, I've got this all upside down. <laughs> there, should, there shouldn't be a problem fitting this in. It should be this is the focus. So that happened four or five years ago. And I think that meant that when we came to this season, it really fresh boiled me back to the question of, okay, what are we going to do to make disciples and, and make disciples? And what does this expose, uh, this COVID season expose in what we were doing wrong that wasn't working? You know, that, that we perhaps didn't know wasn't working because we were just in the routine of the treadmill of how we do church, how it's been done for hundreds, you know, really thousands of years. It hasn't really changed that much, you know. And that, that's been the big learning point for me. I've been studying for six months of disciple-making movements around the world. And, yeah, it's just been a complete game-changer as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Everything is up in the air. I'm not sure where all the pieces are going to land. Lots of people around me are nervous, but I feel good. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're thriving on people's nervous energy at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you meddle in chaos. And... <laughs> yeah, that's right. Everyone's panicking about what I'm going to come out, what's going to come out of my mouth next, I think. But anyway, <laughs> I feel good. I think we're asking the right kind of questions. I think that's the questions that God wants us to ask in this season. Not just how can we get through it, but how can we be transformed and changed in it, I think is the, the key thing for me. Yeah, and obviously a major challenge for people in your position is when you lead a large organisation, essentially, which is what the church is, when it gets to a size that it is, how you make sure that everything is streamlined towards that goal of disciple making and yeah. not just getting busy with, with programmes. So I guess this has helped be a big reset button for the church. Are there are there any things that you'd you know be able to share of things that you've thought, oh, we're going to you know stop that or we're going to realign our focus here or how has the reset really helped you crystallize for you what some of the essentials and non-negotiables are of church yeah i mean i think it's really come out of um of the just looking around the world at disciple making movements and realizing their focus on um teach the you, you know jesus said teach them to obey these things uh, the things that i've taught you and I think we feel in our mindset that when we've taught someone, well, therefore, they will obviously obey those things. And I think the, 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 the penny has dropped with me now that that is not the case. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't realize that before. But now I've suddenly I've realized, oh, that is not the case. That teaching to obey and teaching is our very, very different things. And actually, we've got to work a lot harder at helping people to obey, to follow through. And that obedience can simply be a change of thinking. It doesn't mean to say you've got to do, do, do it. It, but teaching to obey means you're actually embodying the words of Christ in a way that I don't think we've had enough. Feet, uh, we've not had enough focus on. We've not had tight enough accountability loops. You know, we kind of roll from one sermon to the next, to the next, to the next, with no any no real stop to say, well, is anyone actually doing anything? You know, are people actually changing because of what we're, you know, and I, and. And it's not that we're rubbishing everything we've done. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying we need to think more deeply about some of these things and learn how do we get people into God's word on their own, uh, listening to it, obeying it, being transformed by it. And the other thing is that I've learned from disciple-making movements is that their ability to train people to share God's word. I don't think culturally believers in the West really share God's word, even though in Deuteronomy it's like talk about these things on the road, talk about them with the children. We just don't do that, I don't think in everyday life. And I think it's been striking to me just how actively they train people in disciple-making movements to share God's word, to share the stories of God's word, and not to be ashamed of it. 
And I think what we've learned in the West in recent years is other people coming from other cultures are not ashamed of their the word that they have, you know, my Muslim taxi drivers are forever, you know, within every journey, it's the prophet says this and the Quran says, they are just not ashamed. You talk to some of the Nigerian believers who come, you know, Christians who come, and I've, that's what provokes me is they talk about God's word in the hospital, they're, they're totally unashamed in a way that I think in the West, we've just been quite so, quite fragile, quite uptight almost about it. And I think there's something almost embarrassed of the Bible, almost, mm. you know, and, I, and no wonder the, the Bible in most people's understanding is either they're hearing it slammed in the media and they're hearing silence from the church, you know, mm. and I think actually, or, or a little bit religious from the church, you know, that's, that's all they're hearing. And I think for me, the real provoking thing is how do we get people engaging with God's word in a, in a, in a fresh way and how do we get them sharing it with others and being excited about that and being transformed by it? I think, I think that's one massive thing that I've realized we've got to think more deeply about that. Um, wow. And the other thing I think is is the prayer, the extraordinary prayer. I think there's something about prayer that God's doing across the world, and we're seeing that, you know, across lots of different movements. And I just feel there's something exciting happening in us about uh, prayer. And what does that look like? You know, why do we? Why don't we pray more on a Sunday morning? Or because people don't really like it? Well, is that a good reason not to do? <laughs> if you read the New Testament, I think you'd find come away thinking that meetings would look like a lot of prayer. And I think most of our Sunday mornings don't have a lot of prayer. Well, well, they have some, you know, an individual and stuff, but the corporate, you know, they raise their voices together. I think, you know, well, why not? Well, because why don't we do You know, so lots of things like that I'm being provoked and thinking about and asking myself about. But uh, yeah, and more, more, more beside, I'm sure. That's a long answer, sorry. No, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. And we can spin off in all those different directions that the things that are bubbling in my mind now, questions to ask. It's interesting, isn't it? The thing about prayer on a Sunday morning. Um, for so long, particularly uh, people in positions of church leadership in the church, the question's been, how do we engage with the outsiders in our midst? And how do we yeah. make them, you know, how do we help draw them closer to the gospel? But now we haven't got outsiders in our midst. We haven't got any people in our midst. Yeah. So the, pe the, pe the people, by and large, I think there seems to be a, um, what's the word, like a, a reset on the church, yeah, of course, but mm. a calling back to first principles. I remember yeah. talking to Dave Holden recently who said, so all of our all of our efforts to build church um, are useless now because we can't do anything. We were shut in yeah. our homes for so long, so it's time for the Holy Spirit to, to really get back the church and start to do what only he can do. Yeah. And perhaps what we'll get is a, is a is a purer, more focused, more streamlined church who are there for Jesus, there to pray, there to hunger after him, which may, of course, then have a big effect on how we, how we, what our life looks like together when we gather, which is, which is quite exciting. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I've been. So, for example, I just did an announcement for the church saying, look, this is what we're going to do for the summer. Here's the three ways to connect on a Sunday. We're going to do, you know, raw church. You're going to do face-to-face -face meetings. We're going to do online church. And I, and I said, you know, part of my announcement was, look, guys, when I hear about those things, you know, the consumeristic voice says in me, well, you know, I don't like online church because you just kind of sit there and watch. I don't like face to face because you've got to wear a mask. You can't sing. I don't like raw church because I don't want to meet on Zoom, you know, border Zoom. And it's like that's the voice that kind of springs up in me. It's just not perfect. It's not how I like it. But I've been reading for the last six months about churches that are meeting at 2 a.m. in the woods because of fear of persecution. They're meeting in basements. They're meeting in caves. You know, they're, they're encountering God, they're encountering Jesus, they're, they're connecting together. I'm just like, 
it's those stories that are shutting down that voice and saying, yes, it's not perfect, but ultimately, who are we? Are we the church? Are we going to fight to gather? Are we going to fight to connect? Or are we not? Are we just going to think, oh, well, it's a bit, you know, <laughs> not perfect. You know, I don't like it when I've got to be on my sofa and, you know, it's just, I don't like, you know, it's just all of that has got to be, I think is being silenced. And I think, you know, we just, we just don't realize how consumeristic we are. And that I would class myself in, in that as well. You know, I think, we've just been born in a world where where the consumer is king and there's some good things about that but there's some toxic things about that which i think have infected us in the church and i think this is a great time to repent of that stuff and Mm. get back to the basics and realize god's doing something new and he's like not looking for consumers he's looking Mm. for followers Mm. (laughs) (laughs) sign up or sign out i think that's the reality I noticed uh, recently you you preached on a Sunday, but you you did it slightly differently. I guess learning from some of those disciple-making movements that you've alluded to just then, where you um, asked some questions, then pr- prompted people in their groups to yeah. to discuss that. Um, tell tell our listeners a bit about um, that disciple-making movement that's prompted that kind of. Yeah, response. I mean, so the foundation of a lot of these movements, they're all different. They're not similar, but, but uh, I think it's David Garrison did lots of study with others on what's the common elements, and one of them was many of them used what they call discovery by. Bible study, which um, is basically uh, it's a form of Bible storytelling. So, but it's it's more based around reading the reading God's word. So, effectively, what you do is you read read the passage, you read it twice, and then in the group you re- you all retell it in your own words. So, if you're a group of four, effectively you're you're hearing it six times, um, and then you answer four simple questions: What does this passage teach us about God? What does it teach us about people? Um, what do I what do I need to obey? What's it calling me to obey? And who can I share it with? Um, so it's very very simple. Anyone can can do it really. Um, but the power of it has been quite profound. As I've been I've done some training on it, and I've kind of led our church into doing it more and more. Just the the richness of it is really quite profound because you're getting people. I mean, I've had people come to me and say, "Well, I was in the DBS that you did three weeks ago, and I can still remember the passage." <laughs> and they're like, "No offense, but I can't remember." It. <laughs> <laughs> but I get it. I get it. There's something about just focusing on God's word. And mm. and the other thing about it, which they train the people to do is to for the leaders just to say, what does this passage teach us? You know, and, and it, there may be other passages that we need to hold in parallel, but let's study those next week. And I think what what I've learned from that is the problem so often is we're pulling verses from all over the place and into our communication. What that does to the average Christian and to the average unbeliever is it makes them think, Mm. I could never do that. Mm. It it leaves even the average sermon I've realized often leaves the unbeliever feeling like I can't I can't do this because I don't know what it says in that Old Testament passage and I don't know and and as preachers we have this pressure to kind of pull from the richness of God's word which is right and appropriate but at the same time I think there's a vulnerability there that the the implicit outcome is that we leave people feeling paralyzed and unable to access God's word for themselves because they just don't you know and I think there's a lot of things to think about there and how we preach and how we make it so that at the end of it people are thinking I can hear from God through his word myself rather than thinking 
I need a pro to help me, you know, <laughs> which I think is, is quite profound. But anyway, that, that, that um, has been really, really helpful. And so I've done it live through our stream service and we're launching Raw Church over the winter, which is just going to be based around Discovery Bible Study um, over Zoom, which will run in parallel to our online church, parallel to our face-to-face, just because I, I've been exci- so excited by it. I think the the thing I'm excited. My 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 daughter did the, some of the training with me, and she's 19. And within three weeks, she's like, "I could do this with my friends." You know, I wish I'd known this about this at school. I would have. Done, I had loads of questions who people were asking questions, but I never really knew how to, you know. And I think for me, one of the exciting things about it is if we could train a whole all of our believers to be confident enough to get God's word and just to, to say to an unbelieving friend who's interested, "Hey, I could study that. Why don't we study that together and see what God's word says together?" and have the confidence to do that mm. rather than just all they've got at the moment, I think, up their sleeve is, well, come to Alpha or come to Sunday, which is mm. not bad. No, and that's not saying that's bad, but actually getting believers to get around God's Word with their friends, I think, will be a whole different, it'll be a game changer, I think. So mm, I've been excited. Wow. And, and, and it's not easy to do that during lockdown. It's not easy to do that during COVID, but I feel like this is a time of training almost to get people confident that, oh, yeah, I can do that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I think. Th- yeah. T- tell but, us okay. a bit. Of, tell us a bit more about Raw Church then. Help uh, help people understand exactly so what we're doing. So Raw Church is just our third kind of stream. So we're going to do online church, stream church as we do, as we have done over up until now. We're going to do face to face, but obviously it's limited in the number we can get in the building. Our, our auditorium only takes five hundred, but now it's a hundred. You know, so there's just limited, and there's lots of people who can't come. You know, there's lots of people who don't want to come or can't come because of the um, their concerns. So Raw Church is going to be group. We've set up groups of. At the moment, we're just going to launch three, um, and we've got groups of 80 who are going to gather. It's going to be on Zoom, but it's all live. It's 70 minutes, um, it's, so it's live testimony of what God's doing. Worships, as you know, is impossible over Zoom in the, the format that we do of sung worship, but you can read a psalm and you can pray prayers, so we'll do that. Live stories, prophecy, which you can do live. And then, and then it's, but bulk, the bulk of the time is going to be Discovery Bible Study. We'll read the passage together. We're then going to break out and answer those four. Uh, questions um yeah we did a little trial over the summer and the feedback was blew me away people just like yeah you know just so excited um you know at the end of it i was asking should we run it we had it for 60 minutes and should we should it be shorter longer um or much longer everything else we've done online everyone's like make it shorter it's too long (laughs) (laughs) for this everyone was saying make it longer it's not long enough and that made me realize, okay, we're onto something here. Wow. This is really scratching where people are itching for real connection, you know, in a way that just the, you know, the streamed stuff is, is good. And it's great for those that just want to dip in and, and don't want to be contributing. But for those who actually want to connect and contribute, I think it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Certainly the pilot was great. And, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> oh, wow. See how it goes this That's exciting. I think what's interesting is, I mean, you touched on a couple of things there. One is um, the cult of self and our cult, the way we've been enculturated to become consumers and consumeristic yeah. in the way we approach things. Um, I kind of want to ask if you think online church is in danger of playing into that a bit too much. Um, and then also, I, I wonder if we've also created not just because of online church but by the way we've approached our sundays as preachers we have um 
played into the cult of self and the personality of celebrity. I know Dave Devonish was critiquing that and challenging that recently at New Frontiers Global. Um, yeah. And I can see how Raw Church or the, uh, the emphasis back again on disciple making movements and being disciples can help you know, critique some of that and kick against some of that. Um, yeah. what, are, what are some of your reflections on that? Yeah, I, I think certainly it has. And, I, and I'm not sure I'm there yet. So this is kind of, you're getting, this is very raw. I, I'm, my thinking isn't solidified on this, but I think um, I think the way we've done church has fed into the consumeristic mindset and we need to think out how we how we balance excellence and the, and the right desire for that against consumerism uh, and and... And I think there is something going on there that God's speaking into. Um, and I don't quite know where it goes, but I do think that, yeah, there's something going on there around that whole piece that, <laughs> that we've got to think deeply into. Um, I think, you know, where, where, where the average response, if the worship is, back, is not as great as the previous week is, oh, it wasn't very great worship today. We, we've just got a problem. And I, you hear that too often, I think. And that, that's a problem in, from our own hearts. You know, our focus is on the experience rather than on, on the work. You know, it, it, there's, there's some concerns there that I think this thing has flushed up. And I think online church has just exemplified that because now people can just, you know, we can all do, you know, we can all just, switch in and switch off you know or be on our phones and the accountability of being in a gathered community is just not there in the same way which is why i'm excited to try something different because mm. um although lots of people don't like zoom you know and i get why they don't like it particularly if they're on it, on it for work ultimately it does give that sense of contributing it does give that sense of accountability you're either in or you're not you know you... <laughs> so i think that's going to help us in in what we're trying mm. um i think the other the other part of it is in terms of preaching i, I don't know i think what I'm, where I'm getting to, Jez, I think, is that I think where Paul, it says he taught them, and clearly there is a role for that, and it's an important role. I think we've underplayed where it says Paul discussed with them, Paul reasoned with them. And you see those words as much as you see Paul taught them. Hmm. And, I, and I just think it's more of a balance. I think some of the, the critique of the disciple-making movement stuff is that they underplay the teacher role. And they overplay that everyone gets to contribute just around the word of God. But I think the critique of our, what we've done is that we probably overplayed the teacher role. And we've seen some of the result of that is ultimately it just, the, the, the need, the, the, um, it just goes up and up and up. The, the, the quality that people are wanting. And now with the internet, you know, ultimately you, there's not many of us who can match Tim Keller or if you like Bill Johnson, or, you know, there's, there's always the best of the best. And I think mm. there's something about the internet that's, that's not serving us. And that, I noticed this with my kids, actually, because when my, one of my sons was learning to skateboard, to connect with him, I, uh, he was learning some tricks and stuff. And I said, oh, I just saw this kid do this. And I showed him a kid who I hadn't clocked it afterwards. He was a similar age. And I watched, he, we watched this video together. But I was actually looking at him, and I saw something in his eyes die as he saw a similar kid to him do something that he couldn't yet do. And I realized, oh, this generation growing up are growing up with a competition that you and I never knew, which is they are competing in everything with the best in the world. And so what it's doing is not, instead, what I was meaning when I was sharing with him was encouraging him, oh, look, this is great. But actually what it's doing is it's discouraging him. And it, and it really made me think, I wonder if that's what we're doing with preaching, actually, that everyone can now access the best in the world of whatever your particular version of best is. And of course, 
they're forgetting and what we're learning through lockdown is that's not enough actually the 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 physical presence together the hearing god's word in community that's what it in one sense i know this isn't from god but it's almost like god said you want online there you go then (laughs) knock yourself out i just wonder if that you know obviously the the sovereignty of god and it all is but i do wonder if there's something of he's pulling us back to what's the root and, and we need each other we need the physicality the presence now it's not that there won't be online church i think that's important but i do think there's something profound going on in the fact and I know there's lots of people prophesying online is going to be the way to go. This is the future of the church. And I think there is an element to that. I think we've underplayed how important it will be. But also, for what I've observed, is the 20s and the teens are hating it. They are the ones who are the ones who are saying, I don't really want to engage with this. Wow. If they were the generation that were loving it, I would be, I'd be signing up and saying, yep, this is, this is the way it's going to go. We've got to do this. And, and I do think we do need to do it. But I do think there's also some things to learn about the fact that they're the very generation that you think would love it are the generation that are opting out in droves. What's that saying to us? I don't really know, but it's saying something <laughs> important. Um, wow. And, yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm... This is why, this is why I'm messing with people's heads. <laughs> I mean, Simon, as you were sharing that example of your son there, you just... I mean, something just happened to me. You've just, that is absolutely explained for me part of my own personal struggles and anxieties of the past six months i'm pastoring a small church we jumped into online i'm working you know as hard as i can with my iphones to try to produce something and for the first three months i was just dying with anxiety because yeah. i knew i now felt i was competing with hillsong yeah. <laughs> and i thought i can't do that and so oh, yeah. as a local pastor i felt like i was killing myself and yeah. just feeding into feeding the beast that was yeah. creating part of the problem and you've just touched yeah. on it there um in what you said to help me but also i think in the way that we've presented what christianity is it's a it's a slick well presented experience if we're not careful yeah that you feel re- reflects the, your vision of the best life. Yeah. Whereas actually, and I mean, kind of one of the reasons I, I feel so many people benefit from your ministry so much is your emphasis on authenticity. Mm. There's a willingness to share the raw, to mm. to make mistakes, to share the, the stuff that you'd perhaps be ashamed to, or people wouldn't necessarily hear someone mm. like yourself sharing. And I know people have said that to you before, mm. um, which may kind of come into some of the other things we said we'd talk about to do with mm. identity. And there is, a, there is a desire in the teens and the 20s for authenticity and real that I've mm. heard of. And mm. uh, I'd just love to hear more of your reflections on things that you've learned then about lessons for authenticity and identity and how you, what you'd say to encourage people in that area. Yeah, I mean, I think I think for me, <clears throat> I think it was very much the Lord led me into it. You know, he was one Sunday just after I'd started leading uh, the church. Uh, he provoked me to share about my uh, battles with pornography as a teenager in my 20s. And I was like, no, <laughs> not, that is not appropriate in a mixed audience on a Sunday morning. Let's just say it. Let's just call it a no. <laughs> and, I never signed up for that. And I really, but I was, you know, the presence of God on it, the the Holy Spirit was not letting go on it. And um, it really exposed a lie in me, which was if people know who you really are, they won't want to follow you. That's, that was the lie that when it, when we in, in before the Lord, that's where we got to. And the Holy Spirit just said to me, that's a lie. The truth is if they know who you really are, they'll want to follow you more. And I was like, this feels pretty risky. 
<laughs> but anyway, talking with one of my other elders, we wrestled. I remember the conversation. We wrestled long over hard on whether I should do it. And in the end, decided I just feel this is of God. And so I did it. Well, that is exact what what he what the Holy Spirit prophesied was exactly what's happened. And and of course, there are appropriate boundaries. I'm not saying every lead needs to share everything. And there there is also a danger of sharing, which I think Andrew Wilson's pointed out helpfully of sharing for the sake of sharing, you know, to, to almost it becomes it's like in our today's culture, it's almost like share your junk uh, to give you a credibility, which I think is a real, is the almost the flip of where it used to be. Don't mm. share your junk to give you credibility. Now it's share your junk to give you credibility. <laughs> There's a toxic version of this. But ultimately, I'm sharing for the point of not to give me, I, it still embarrasses me. The point is not to make me look bigger or feel bigger. The point, in fact, the opposite <laughs> still the point is to show what Christ can do in someone. I think that's why Paul shared it, isn't it? The, the, the chief of sinners. That's why he shared, not to, to but, but to show what the, if if God can do this in me, mm. then what can He do in you? And I think that's the point. I think if you keep that at the heart of it, I think what it provokes is a community that realizes, oh gosh, if if Simon or our leaders can share like this, then then maybe God can can do stuff in me. Maybe He can use me and. And I think that's the the fruit that we've seen is that identity based on not me hiding who I really am, but me showing who I am and the struggles I have, but showing that Christ is enough and that he can transform me and that the battles I used to have, I don't have or or I have less, you know, or whatever it might be. And I think that's what we've seen. And as we, over the years, just kind of kept that up. You know, I remember sharing um, and it and affects people at all sorts of levels. So I remember going into a meeting and the, the guy's saying, well, how, you know, uh, with senior leaders saying, oh, how are you doing? I was like, oh, I had such a rough day. Caroline and I have been at marriage counseling today. It was just really, really rough. She cried all the way home. And they were both kind of open mouthed. I mean, they'd never hit, heard anyone of my kind of position share that and still refer back to it this day as a, almost like a life changing moment. Mm. And, you know, on the on the on from the stage, you know, sharing about marriage counseling, you know, a guy came up to me six, probably six months ago. You saved my life. I was like, why? He's like, because I heard you speak at a Catalyst event and you shared about going to marriage counseling. I was suicidal because of the state of my marriage and I was right on the edge. And when you shared that, I suddenly found some hope. My wife and I have been to counseling. We now run the marriage. I think it was more than six months, actually, because he said, we now run the marriage counseling stuff in our church. My life's been transformed. It's, like, it's a big claim. Wow. But I just realized the power, when done correctly, the power of sharing openly, I think, um, not only does it cause people not to follow you, of course, actually people want to follow you more because I think, well, these guys are just following Jesus like I am and they can... You know, and I think, but you can only do that, I think, when your security is in Christ and what he's done in you rather than in how I appear to, to others. Um, and I think the other thing for me is the whole, you know, because often when I speak, my red will go, my neck will go red, my face will go red. So I tell people that story and how, you know, God set me free from the fear of that. And again, similarly, people are like, gosh, if he can do that up the front and he's like purple, maybe I can <laughs> speak to my boss or, you know. And I think that journey for me of dying to that and realizing I'm dead to that. And, you know, mm. you know, sometimes Caroline says to me, no, oh, Simon, your face was red. And I'm like, you know, what? I'm, I am I am dead to it. You know, I could be green with pink spots honestly, <laughs> because I died to it a million times. And, and Christ called me to 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 live it out. And um, mm. and if I in any way can can provoke others to get through their issues that hold them back, then praise God, you know, mm. um, 
So I think that that would be some of my thoughts on that one. That's fantastic. Thank you. I mean, I wanted to ask you about uh, a season a couple of years ago when I, I just happened to catch a video that you'd put out to the church saying that you were taking a step back from preaching publicly to just spend some time seeking God more. I think you were feeling dissatisfied with a, yeah. something uh, in God that you'd not experienced. And uh, I've often just, you know, that, that video that I watched, the, the, the authentic, not just sharing of a weakness, but the authentic hunger for Christ and for God's yeah. presence in your life that pr- prompted you to take some some significant steps in your leadership mm. ha- ha- made a big impression on me and yeah. still affects the way I pray now and think about what yeah. I'm you know running for as a pastor um, mm. so I just love to hear feedback really on, on that six month period or however long it was yeah, and, it was, uh, and it was things tough, you've learned yeah. from it yeah it was one of those I mean I, I don't if you remember the story I had a dream and in the dream I was speaking at a church and I had I'm looking at my iPad and there was no notes I was literally at the point of speaking there was no notes and so I was frantically looking there but I just couldn't find anything my mind was blank so I had to step off the stage uh, went to the back room and my iPad which I've got hundreds of talks on was just completely um, blank the band had to carry on it was just this kind of awkward the dream was just this super awkward moment I woke up and um, and the Lord's I was like, whoa, what was that? And the Lord said, I'm, I'm taking you into a season of silence to mm. teach you to repent. And um, I was, uh, okay. <laughs> sound, sound great. <laughs> what, how long? And the Lord said, six months, no public preaching or, or teaching. Um, so that was, that was a, it was a pretty big deal. We had to weigh that as a team and the Catalyst team and, I think I had to cancel 29 different speaking things over that six-month period, which did not please um, uh, the person <laughs> who was doing my diary at the time. Um, I think, what did I learn from it? I think, one, in one sense, the big thing is just doing what God tells you to do when he calls you to do it, no matter how inconvenient. So I think it might the whole thing may just have been about that. And I think for me, it was this, perhaps it was preparation for this journey of calling people to read God's word and obey it, you know. Um, mm. I was listening to a, one of the DMM, the Disciple Making Movement trainers, and they were saying, "What do you, what do you look for in a, in a Disciple Making Movement catalyst?" And it was like fast obedience to God's word. Wow. That's the first thing I look for. I'm looking for people who read God's word and they just do it. And I think over the years, when I've read about people who have changed the world in in God, you know, people like Larry Lee, you know, his, what was his story? Uh, the guy who wrote um, hearing the hearing the voice of God, uh, hearing ear, I think it was. It was quite influential on me in the early days. You know, his, his journey was we we read we read. Well, they used to in those days they had Bibles where the words of Jesus were in red letters. They don't do that anymore for theological reasons. But <laughs> <laughs> in those days they did. And he said where it started for me was we read the we read the red, i.e. the red letters, and we prayed for the power. So basically, they just read the Bible and didn't move on until they obeyed it. And John G. Lake and others, you just, you know, again and again, Billy Graham, it always comes back to that. Um, And I think, so maybe that was part of it. I think, but I I really did learn about, I spent the six months praying about change and repentance and why are there areas I haven't repented on? You know, self-pity for me is just an ongoing, lifelong struggle. Uh, You know, some, some things I've been delivered of like that, you know, they just changed overnight. Self-pity for me has just been a real battle, real, much to my wife's <laughs> pain. Um, but in the last last year, I've um, had some major breakthrough on it through through something that happened in that in that process of reading and learning about how do people change and um, 
I really got provoked by um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and realizing that in parallel with some other stuff I was reading that to change, people need to change in three parts. They need a change in their head, i.e. it's a change of thinking. They need a change in their hearts. There needs to be a change in the emotional level, and there needs a change in the hand. They have to change their actions. And how I'd often focused on one of those three, whereas actually I've realized that very often, particularly for the most difficult areas of change for us, with repentance, that's what it means, we need to, all, we need to work at all three. Uh, that's why God's love your Lord with God with all your heart, mind, you know, there's a, there's a wholeness mm. of loving him with everything and wow. um, learning myself, you know, how to change that and how to, uh, how to change in each one of those elements, as, mm. you know, particularly the area of self-pity. And I would say, I mean, my wife, Caroline, would say as well, I'm night and day different. It's still a battle. It's still, I have to, you know, sometimes if one I fight on a, on a daily basis, but um, one I'm winning rather than one I'm losing. Mm. <laughs> um so yeah, I think learning about change and how people change and has been probably the biggest thing that happened in that six months and just getting oh, wow. six months to study that and not not output it until the end, you know, and that's probably been... Yeah, there must have been a fair amount of pressure at the end of those six months. The, the rest of the part of the preaching team probably very looking forward to... Yeah, I mean, going back, yeah. <laughs> um, wow, you touched on repentance there and I know from your book, Sustainable Power and things that I've heard you said, repentance for you has become, is, is quite a key discipline and an, yeah. an important gift of God to us to help us yeah. grow and help us change. Um, mm. It's not something that we hear people talk too much about beyond just, you know, repent and when you become a Christian. Christian. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Talk to us a bit then about how repentance, it, it, you see repentance differently as being something that's a, a gift and a lifeline to a Christian rather than just an entry level thing that you do. Yeah. And I think it has to be, um, the, the key thing I'd say is it has to be on a foundation of knowing that the Father loves you, that he's for you, that you're a child of the Father. So that's the, the, the healthy foundation for this, because I know, particularly in the past, there have been movements that have emphasized repentance, and it all becomes very heavy, very condemning. You know, So there's a real, real danger there. But I think understanding the love of the Father and having that as a foundation, I think then provokes us into be transformed by the renewing of our minds, which I think is the foundation of repentance. You know, the word, even the word repent, I used to think means, meant to say sorry, but realize that that's an element of it. But actually the root word metanoia is, is a change of thinking. It's a, it's a transformation of the thinking and realizing that God was wanting for something deeper than just repeatedly saying, sorry, uh, <laughs> I messed up again. Actually he's looking, I mean, that he's not a, he doesn't mind it when we say sorry, but really that is an irrelevance really to him compared to people who are transformed for eternity. That's what he's really after. That's what Jesus died for. Not just a few people who say sorry more often, but people who are transformed by the power of the cross and by the work of the spirit. And so I think for me, what one of the revelations that I kind of brought out in the book is this journey of repentance is a lifelong journey. As Paul said, writing to a mature church, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This was an ongoing thing. Um, and actually com, 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 is different for everybody, that some of us are transformed in some things just in moments at salvation. We never are the same again. I've met with numbers of people who are alcoholics, and they're like, yeah, I got saved and I never drunk again. You know, mm -hmm. I've met with numbers of other people who are alcoholics and believers and have battled with it for years. You know, So recognizing that it's just different for everyone, and we can't put our change on anybody else's. Everyone will have their own journey, but each of us will be led by the Spirit and... Um, for me, you know, the issues of control were a massive issue where God led me into repentance, the issues of fear. Uh, and I think reflecting on how Jesus led the disciples, you know, 
I'd never seen it through this lens until I read it, having gone through some of it myself and reread the Gospels, realizing, oh, much of what he, do, he did with them was a journey of repentance. It was teaching them to think differently that, wow. you know, in terms of the relationship with their father, their heavenly father, you know, think differently in terms of their relationship with fear, think differently in terms of their relationship with, uh, with courage and with um, uh, self-reliance, you know, the pride of self-reliance, which I bring out in the book. And yeah, never just once I started to read the Gospel of that lens, now I can't unsee it. You know, once you see something, you see how much work he did with them, which I think was why when the Spirit came, they were so utterly transformed because he had done such a job on them beforehand that the landing ground for the Spirit wow. was all prepared. Whereas I think for many of us, that we don't do a great job, I don't think, when people become believers to do to help them on that journey such that the filling of the Spirit is a... Is, is a um, goes in partnership with that. Often we pray for them to get filled with the Spirit very early, but we don't partner that with the radical change of mind that will then not block what the Spirit wants to do. Because there's no if someone's got a chronic fear of man and the Holy Spirit's saying, you know, come on, let's go speak to that person. Let's go encourage that person. But they're crippled by fear. Well, they'll never, sooner or later, that voice of the Spirit will just be dialed right down until they can't even really hear it again and then they think well god never speaks to me well he he does but of course he's not going to keep telling you to do the thing that he knows that you won't do he's going to try and get you free first so that you can do the things he doesn't want to lead you into a place where you just can't where you're you know constantly disobeying he's mm. at first going to get you to the place where you can actually obey and mm. then then take you from there so that, that's been my journey on that topic. wow that's so that's so helpful again i love that phrase clearing the landing ground for the work of the spirit in your life and even just that idea i mean we're familiar like you said with repentance as being saying sorry saying sorry for watching porn drinking too much for swearing but you know when you talk to someone who's got a real problem with pornography they can say sorry till they're blue in the face yeah. but until they've changed their understanding of well why they look at porn and what it is they're trying to access when they look at porn or yeah. they need to be transformed in the renewal of their mind that's a really helpful helpful uh, prompt there of romans 12. um well that kind of t uh, dovetails nicely to coming on to get, getting you to tell us about your new book that uh, i understand you've you've written at least the first draft i don't know tell us about not quite, um... not quite. i'm about three quarters away <laughs> <through>. <laughs> oh okay so it's not out for a while then but um, yeah, yeah, tell us uh, tell us about what you're writing and at the moment yeah i think it's it's a follow-on from the first book really um and i don't even know what the title will be something around army of freedom or culture of freedom but it's really about how we as individuals live free and also create communities of, of freedom um and i think that's been something that god's done in my life over many years and uh, helped me in king's arms you know, by his grace to create a community where people generally end up more free when they leave than when they arrive. Not always, but <laughs> more, more. And, and looking at, um, you know, how does, how does that work? How do we create an environment where people can get free? Um, how do we create environments that are free from control and manipulation and actually help one another to grow in Christ, which I think is what the church is meant to do, and, but sadly sometimes fails to do. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of that's the kind of premise of it, and looking at all sorts of things from um, deliverance to what is freedom, you know, and the the, the version of freedom that we see around us today is <clears throat> pro proclaimed in the media and in society is not Christian freedom. So mm. looking at looking at the kind of the broad spectrum of, of um, what does freedom look like for us, I think is going to be kind of mm. where I'm going with it. Wow, oh, I'm looking forward to reading that. That Thank sounds you. really exciting. Um, well, Simon, our, our time together has come up. Oh, firstly, wh when will that book be out? Do you know? Do you have a time on that? I don't know. And the aim is to finish it this year. So if I finish it this year, I expect it'll be out next year. Okay. So we'll see. 
Yeah. It's good to have that conversation, the bit of accountability here. <laughs> yeah, you've heard it here. <laughs> Call me on that. <laughs> oh, excellent. Um, well, Simon, uh, yeah, our, our time has come to come to an end. Oh, um, okay. Thank you so much for all that you've shared. And again, for just the way that you uh, model a godly leadership that prizes authenticity and pursues Jesus above everything else. It's made a big impact on me, even from afar, not knowing oh, you okay. too well myself. Uh, but thank you so much. Thanks, Joe, so much. Appreciate it. Great yeah, to be man. with you. Oh, wow. Wasn't that good? I mean, some of the comments in there about authenticity, identity, uh, and of course, the, the challenge between online life and reality and the way we as a church need to get back to making sure that we're committed to making disciples and building good relationships with one another, obeying God's word when God speaks. I love that. And I love Simon's example and the way that he's led. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Uh, well, friends, next week, I'm really looking forward to bringing you another great conversation, this time with a mother of three children, Rachel Wilson, a good friend of mine. And she's going to be talking about uh, a book that she co-wrote with her husband, Andrew, as well as some lessons that she's learned as a mom of special needs children, the way that she's processed some challenges during lockdown and through this pandemic. But Rachel is someone that I've known for many years and has, as best as I could describe it, a gift of wisdom. Uh, she speaks with wisdom and authority in what she says. Here's a, here's a little teaser, here's a trailer of what's coming up next week. Enjoy. You know, we're works in progress. Things change over time. My friend's an art teacher and she was saying she was teaching other teachers how to um, teach young children how to draw. And she was saying the golden rule is that you can never let them have the rubber. They have to, if they get something wrong, it has to become part of the picture. So if they're drawing a horse and the horse's leg, one leg's bigger than the other, then they have to draw something to add to the picture to make that make sense, but you don't give them a rubber. And I think that's true whenever you're making yourself vulnerable or whenever you're sharing life or parenting, there's just some really helpful wisdom there of going, God, actually, you're a work in progress and God does something even with the mistakes that you've made. And as tempting as it is to go for a reprint or to correct every blog post that you said something slightly stupid in or every post, every podcast where maybe you overshared, um, you've got to leave it and trust that God's going to do something with it to bless people. Oh, it's a good one. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Uh, that's going to be here next week on the podcast with Rachel Wilson. Well, thanks for being with us this week. If you've enjoyed the conversation, you're liking what you hear, please don't forget to like, subscribe and share this podcast with anyone you think might benefit from it. The New Ground Life and Leadership podcast exists to help people thrive in their relationship with Jesus, no matter where they are and whatever they're going through. With all the challenges and uncertainty around, it's never been more important, perhaps, for us as believers to encourage one another. Well, God bless you. If you want to make contact with me for whatever reason, perhaps you want to just say hi, or maybe you've got some ideas for some guests that we can interview on the show, you can reach me by emailing connect at newgroundpodcast.org. Otherwise, that's us done for the day. Have a great week, and I'll speak to you all soon. Bye.